Greetings, travelers. Welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wall, and in this episode, I'm rejoined in person by my co-host, Elise Cutts, who's back at Caltech after studying abroad in Edinburgh all last fall. Now, Elise did make a guest appearance while she was away, Skyping in from chilly Scotland to talk about the first three episodes of Star Trek Discovery with me. And you can find that conversation containing all of her insightful comments in episode 17. But today, we're going to tell you a little bit about an exhibit we went to at the Williamson Gallery at the Art Center Hillside Campus in Pasadena, California. It turns out that Caltech is not the only premier institution located in Pasadena. Art Center College of Design is one of the top-ranked art colleges in the world. And this past year, they put together a showcase called Mars, Astronomy and Culture, which blended scientific, literary, and cinematic representations of the Red Planet. Elise and I toured the exhibition earlier this week, and as we walked around it, we noticed familiar images from work, famous sketches from a bygone era of astronomy, and a surprisingly childish drawing by NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory scientists. Welcome back, Elise. <laughs> yes, good to be back. It's been like months Many <laughs> since months. I've been here. Yeah, yeah. Exciting journey across the Atlantic, uh, return to the homeland here at Caltech, and ready to get back into podcasting after quite a hiatus there. Uh, we just finished watching two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. First, yeah, I'm first, behind. I know it's terrible. First time that I've watched an episode of Discovery with you not eight hours in the future yeah. and all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> yes, I, we were just lodged in space and time a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, now I'm back and uh, you'll probably be hearing more of my voice, whether or not you think that's a good or bad thing, it's going to be happening. So, <laughs> brace yourselves or grab some popcorn, whatever sounds good to you. Let's go ahead and talk about this Mars exhibit that we went and saw this week. Yeah. It was at... The Art Center College of Design. Yeah, in, yes. in Pasadena, mm-hmm. the Hillside Campus, and it was called Mars Astronomy and Culture. Yes, Mars Astronomy and Culture. Yeah, and it's yeah. running through January twenty first. Yeah, you should totally check it out. It's awesome. We went when there was basically a, a JPL engineer and a JPL scientist. Geologist, yeah. Yeah, giving people a tour of the exhibit. So basically, the exhibit was just a bunch of Mars sketches historical sketches of mars dating Mm -hmm. back to like the very first observations of mars and then leading up through all of the missions to mars like the first mars flyby the first mars rovers all the way up until the current mars Mm -hmm. rover high-rise images and high-rise images and then there was also a section on culture and how Mm -hmm. mars has invaded the science fiction culture cultural imagination yeah and so i thought it would be a good thing to talk about even though it's not the intersection of science and Star Trek, it is the intersection of science and culture and mm-hmm. science fiction in a broader context. In general, yeah. yeah. No, it was, I think the funniest thing for us personally, though, was just noticing all of these figures that friends of ours have done. And uh, they, none of them were attributed to their original authors because they had been like edited and 
made more accessible for a public audience. But for instance, there's this one figure that plots basically clay minerals across all of Mars with little dots. And my research mentor, Bethany Elman, made this figure, but they took it and they turned it into something else and they didn't credit her. Uh, they credited JPL though, which works for JPL, so I suppose that's indirect. You saw a couple that of images that friends of yours have worked on, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. So there was a nice image of some mud cracks on Mars, which is one of many geologic lines of evidence for there having been liquid water on Mars at some point. Basically when mud dries up, it starts to crack as it contracts. And Nathan Stein, who's been a guest on this podcast a couple of times, actually led the campaign to investigate those mud cracks using the instruments on Mars Curiosity. Of course, his name wasn't credited in the caption for that (laughs) picture either. None of the Um, scientists who made the beautiful crayon rendering of that first image sent back from Mars were credited either for their beautiful art. That's right, yeah. (laughs) So we, we got to see this really cool first image of Mars's surface taken by a spacecraft. It was taken by Mariner 4 in 1965. And the scientists were so eager to figure out what the image was going to look like that they didn't even wait for their, I guess, whatever printer thing they had in those days. Yeah. They just downloaded the raw data, which came out as little numbers. Like strips, like a, basically like a big Excel spreadsheet of just like ones, twos, threes, fours. Yeah. Like the colored by number with crayon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Each number corresponded to a different color and they just put crayon onto a piece of paper over these numbers and drew Mars. <laughs> and it was so it was so cool to see that very first image and we had no idea that the first image it of was Mars in was crayon. Yeah. yeah. So that blew my mind. Super funny. Set a precedent for children naming all the Mars rovers and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we got to see how Mars has really influenced culture. Yeah, for sure. My favorite sort of science fiction book series is the whole Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson. And that was there. I was freaked out because the, the world building is so fantastic. It's probably like the most, in my opinion, realistic and like scientifically motivated conception of what the near and far future of our leap into space will look like. Yeah, it was cool to see that there. So that's like sort of on the more realistic end. And then we had some of the less realistic imaginings of Mars, perhaps inspired by all of the hub-hub about the canali and such, um, intelligent civilization on Mars, evidence from telescopes. Uh, it was, who was that? Lowell? Percival Yeah, Lowell. Percival Lowell, yeah. yeah, in Arizona. Ended up being, like, there's observatories named after him and stuff, but he ended up being a total crackpot for all of this. Um, <laughs> but did definitely inspire some of the just most, like, classic, kitschy, like, scantily clad women running around on Mars being chased by a large monster, like, kitschy sci-fi posters so there's that end and then there's like beautiful world building Kim Stanley Robinson in the <laughs> next box over no Star Trek Star Trek is was inspired by Mars a bit though yeah um, I mean we got those what I would call the finale episode of uh, oh here we Enterprise. go again um, but <laughs> yeah so this is um, the Enterprise duology in season four um Terra Prime and Demons, I think, are the names of the episodes. Yes. And yeah. they have this, uh, the bad guy ends up taking a station from, I think, the moon to Mars. And they fly over what is called the Carl Sagan Memorial, <laughs> um, which is a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. And there's even a bit of Mars in the Star Trek Discovery yeah. um, title sequence. <laughs> we don't know what it is exactly, 
we know it's a crater. Yeah. Um, at first I thought it was Olympus Mons because sometimes you look at these images of craters and your eye inverts whether or not it's coming towards you. Um, but there was no caldera, so not a volcano. Um, but there is some mysterious carbon dioxide ice in a crater in the discovery. You know, I, 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 it's, I it's gotta it's, be CO2 I think ice. it's sand dunes because it it's dunes? inverted. Okay, what we're gonna do it. I'm thing. trying to think of why there'd be CO2 ice in a crater. But you're gonna I, I don't, yeah, right? Like, live Google searching. Oh, we're gonna live. We're gonna live Google searching. Are we? Yeah. Let's let's see. Okay, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a crater that. Spirit or opportunity went to. Um, Victoria Crater. I think this one is it. I think it's Victoria Crater. It is Victoria, it's Victoria Crater. Crater. Okay, yeah. so I'm gonna bring they just up. they just changed the colors. Yeah, yeah, they changed the colors. Okay, I'm gonna bring up. We have Star Trek Discovery on. Hold yep. on. Yep. We're about to hear the music. Okay. So we're gonna watch. <laughs> watch the intro. The intro. <laughs> like, sorry, I have to fly through Vulcan. Yeah, we're watching episode six. Lethe. Uh, I'm quite behind. Where is the intro on this episode? Uh, no, it's got to be earlier. It's definitely before Tilly goes on a run. No, oh, there it is. Okay. It's after that. Okay. Yeah, you found it. Okay, they're in the Christmas tree nebula. Okay. Okay. We've, we've got the picture of Victoria Crater pulled <laughs> up. And everything in the Discovery title sequence has been showing up, so perhaps Victoria Crater will make a guest appearance. I know, yeah, I'm really excited. I want oh, there it is. Oh, <laughs> you missed it. Uh, I'm not allowed to swear on my podcast anymore. Okay. <laughs> anymore? Did that happen? <laughs> it's cool, right, Tilly? <laughs> oh my god. Ah, yep, right under Mary Wiseman's name. It's Mary Wiseman. That is Tilly. Okay, yeah, and yeah. That, it's basically an inverted image of yeah. this crater. Mm hmm. Okay. Good to know. Very so it's good. just a bunch of sand dunes at the bottom. There. So there is Mars in Discovery. So and maybe hopefully, we'll be getting there. Yeah. Um, let's see. We talked about Percival Lowell a little bit. So just in case you don't know who <laughs> that guy was, basically he trained his telescope on Mars and thought he saw canals on Mars and believed that they were basically aqueducts bringing liquid water from the from, from the ice caps <laughs> to, the, the to the equator, right? Yeah. So there's like this benevolent Mars nation at the poles bringing liquid water to their poor neighbors who are living in the dusty desert of the equator on Mars. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lowell really thought that this was evidence that you had benevolent, intelligent beings up in the cosmos. Yeah. And then that kind of just spread. Nobody yeah, it got in the papers. Yeah, people actually thought it was there were aliens for sure. Definitely, nobody actually knows what Percival Lowell was, was looking at. Yeah, nobody has any idea. Some... Maybe his telescope just had some nicks in it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> telescope problems. Some people thought he was seeing like the veins in his eyes. because yeah. he was straining his eyes too hard. Uh, yeah. Today, when you look at Mars through a telescope, at least, what what do you see mostly? Well, through the telescopes that I've looked at Mars through, it's basically sort of like a fuzzy little red ball with depending on the time of year you can see more or less because mars has dust storms mm -hmm. sometimes if you like really squint you can see some of the bigger surface features like uh there are some darker regions on mars and there are a lot of really good images that can show you Thales marineris which is huge but for the most part in your average like backyard hobbyist telescope you you are lucky if you see the ice caps like <laughs> it's just a fuzzy red ball yeah 
Valis Marineros. I could see. Yeah, maybe Valis Marineros was like the one possible excuse for a canal. For a canal, because it's yeah. basically be this, a hell of a canal. It's a huge canyon, like Mars's Grand Canyon, except way bigger, bigger than, than ours. Yeah. yeah. And I remember uh, we were looking at some pictures of Mars in this art center exhibit, and I said to Elise, "Wouldn't it be cool to like hike Valis Marineros?" Yeah. And you said something interesting that you actually thought about because you were doing some world building exercises about Mars and, and <laughs> I, that never occurred to me. Oh before. yeah. So Mars has a significantly smaller radius than the earth. So it's curvature would be more intense if you're standing on it. So the horizon would actually be much closer to you on Mars. So even if you're standing at the lip of this huge Canyon, like you, you probably wouldn't be able to see the other side of it because it would be over the horizon. So it would just look like the earth fell off in front of you and just never stopped. And wouldn't that be super cool? But yeah, it yeah. could be. Then, then you'd have the flat Mars society because you would- No, 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 no. <laughs> Mars has been proven to be round. The earth is flat. <laughs> uh, there was some famous person who tweeted- Elon Musk. Was it Elon Musk? I think it was, yeah. yeah. Okay, maybe it was Elon Musk who tweeted at the Flat Earth Society or something and asked if Mars was spherical. And they, they said, we have evidence that Mars is spherical, but the Earth is flat. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. I'm not a flat earther. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's best if we don't try. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a podcast for that, if that's what you're into. <laughs> so when Mike and I were at the exhibit, like he mentioned before, there were these two, there's an engineer and a geologist. And the... Like many people at JPL, they've been in their jobs a while. And um, so Mike and I are actually TAing a class on astrobiology right now at Caltech. In any case, sometimes the public would ask questions and they would get responses. And a lot of the time, Mike and I would be sitting in the back kind of just like, <laughs> like kerchuffling to ourselves. Especially, Mike does atmospheres. And uh, there's an instrument called MAVEN that does atmospheres on Mars. And somebody asked a question about it. And one of the one of the geologists um, just sort of like oh atmospheres just, it said something completely odd or off about didn't he say it like what did he oh, say oh yeah so this was um, like in the context of the variation of Mars's yeah. atmospheric pressure mm-hmm. and just ignored seasons yeah exactly yeah. so so Mars Mars's atmospheric pressure he was saying was like had declined over a certain amount between. Uh, different missions yeah, that have been sent to Mars, yeah. and the 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 thing that is really the explanation for this is that Mars's atmospheric pressure really changes a lot more than say Earth's does over the course of a year, because Mars's atmosphere is mostly CO two, and Mars has really thick ice caps that are mostly water ice, but have a lot of CO two frost on top of that water yeah. ice, and so when it gets to summertime, in that pole is illuminated by the sun that co2 will sublime and go into the atmosphere and basically pump up the atmosphere with co2 and then when the uh, seasons change again co2 from the atmosphere will basically collapse onto the pole and the pressure will go down by mm-hmm. quite a bit and this doesn't happen on earth or, or really too many other planets because most of earth's atmosphere is nitrogen mm-hmm. and and the rest of it is mostly oxygen and those two gases don't condense at all anywhere on earth but Mars's atmosphere does condense, and so its variation, I think, can be like up to like twenty percent change seasonally of atmospheric pressure on Mars. Mm-hmm. So that was something that uh, that was not said in as 
great of a way. <laughs> I, I, feel. I think he just kind of implied that Mars's atmosphere just like disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> over over like time scale of years. Yeah. Which, no, it's it's coming back and forth, right? As yeah. as the seasons come and go. There was uh, a couple of things about life as well, and just water, that were just sort of funny. I think some of the information is just a little bit outdated. And we're going through this class right now, like writing lectures and stuff, trying to find out the newest, greatest things, but striking a balance between being that person who's like, well, actually, Mars is like this, not like that, is, and, and just enjoying what the, the people are saying is, is something. So maybe after you listen to this podcast, you can go to something like this, and you too can chuckle to yourself in the corner when somebody asks the question that you know the answer to, but the visiting scientist doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely agree that we should have some astrobiology chats between ourselves, like fireside astrobiology chats oh, between Elise yeah. and Mike, and mm-hmm. we'll just record them. Maybe we should just talk about what we're studying in class this week or something like that. Yeah, and, not Star Trek related, but it's just interesting. And yeah, and I'm sure that those. there's there's a way to <laughs> yeah. connect almost anything in astrobiology to, to Star, Star Trek. Trek. Of course, yeah, we yeah. can do it. And I I throw in astrobiology. I mean, sorry, I throw in Star Trek references in my astrobiology lectures all the time. A couple so. of lectures begin with Star Trek episode clips. I think a yeah. good one to start with would be uh, the Drake equation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk through some of those order of magnitude calculations. Okay, how about this? Next time we will bring you an episode on the Drake equation. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah. When we finish watching these uh, um, <laughs> yeah, discovery I have some episodes. Yeah, catching up to do. Okay, so that sounds good. So you'll hear from us in the future after we've watched a few more Star Trek Discovery episodes, and we'll talk to you about the Drake Equation and the Drake Equation appearing in Star Trek. The Drake Equation, of course, is something that tries to calculate the number of communicating civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. Mm -hmm. So that's an exciting topic, and we'll see you next time. How about that? Unless there's anything you want to say. Nope. uh, That's where the astrobio class at Caltech begins, and it's a great place to start if we want to just do some silly talks. Okay. Yeah. Engage, or as Captain Lorca says, go. Isn't that the lamest? Like Picard had engage, yeah, and and engage. And, and and Lorca just says go. Go. That's go. kind of a Lorca thing to do, though. Go. Just fewer syllables. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a shady guy. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure him out. Shady, shady McShade. I haven't even seen the full extent of the shade yet. Yeah. So it's good to be back. If you live in the area and have the means, I highly recommend checking out Mars, Astronomy and Culture at the Williamson Gallery at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California, before it closes down. It's a fun little blend of science and art, which was really interesting to see as a planetary scientist because a lot of the images on display I would normally regard as data, as something to be worked on, something to be number crunched or cataloged, something to be studied with a critical eye. But seeing them in this context, hung in frames on walls in an art museum, brought out the splendor of the red planet and reminded me that, among other things, Mars is a beautiful place full of natural wonder that you can just look at and appreciate for its aesthetic qualities. I sincerely hope that Star Trek Discovery 
takes us to Mars in a future episode. Until then, see you out there.